Hello, Truth Seekers. I'm so grateful you're here today to listen to another incredible story. Today, Bobby is sharing her truth on her recent coffee shop business adventure, her thoughts on death, spirituality, and the afterlife, but also how art is the thing that keeps the world going round. Her ideas on how art is expressed through everything really turned on some light bulbs for me and gave me inspiration to start to consciously incorporate art each day. Bobby is an artist, entrepreneur, businesswoman, thought provoker, amongst other things. She is also a fellow truth seeker. Please enjoy today's episode, and if you enjoy what you hear, Christy and I would be delighted if you could rate and review our podcast. This enables others to find us easier so we can spread the light of what we call the truth. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Christy. And we are are the the truth seekers. We are all human beings on this earth seeking our truth. And this is the platform we created to share our findings. So the story of Bobby, I met her at, well, actually the first time I met her was at a coffee shop when I first moved here. It was called Traverse Coffee in Hollowell. And she was working there and my partner and I came in, we got coffees And we just started chatting with her and she was telling me that she was going to open up her own coffee shop in Gardner, which is like, what, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes away from Hollowell. So fast forward. So that coffee shop opens and I saw on Facebook that they were hiring for baristas and just coffee shop workers in general. So I applied and had an interview with Bobby and we just kind of hit it off honestly and like really got along and it was clear that we had some of the same passions and thoughts for the future and things that we wanted to try and do and had very similar energy so once that interview was over um some things transpired which i think bobby will get into uh but we both kind of agreed that if we ever wanted to hang out that we should and because I know that some things have happened with the with the coffee shop, the coffee shop drama, I wanted to bring her onto the podcast and talk about that, but also because Bobby is just a really cool person. So, hello, Bobby. <laughs> Hi, and thank you both for having me. Um, just my, my own little background, I had, uh, prior to, to meeting Abby, just sort of uh, landed in Gardner because I... My partner and I, uh, at the time, <clears throat> had decided that we were going to try to buy a house together, um, and I had mostly worked remotely at the time, so I had uh, basically just agreed to come and move into his apartment and see how living together even went. Where um, were you living before then? In Portland. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, Portland, Maine. And yes. I forget, are you from Maine? I am. So I've okay. lived in Maine my whole life. Uh, moved to Portland in 2010 and left in 2021. Okay. I lived in Portland for three years, um, and worked at Trader Joe's for three years. Amazing. Love TJ's. (laughs) Love TJ's. Everyone loves TJ's. (laughs) It's true. You can get, this is totally sidebar, but you can get, uh, uh, like, unsweetened mango there. Like, the, the, like, dehydrated. Yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> like dried mango? Yeah. Okay, okay. Like, it's addicting. 
is really good. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> okay. But trip yeah. to TJ soon. <laughs> is what I'm Absolutely. hearing. <laughs> Community trip. <laughs> Community um. TJ's trip. It's true. We need them. Um, but yeah, so uh, moved to Gardner to try out home homesteading-ish sort of things with my with my partner. Um, and that all went fine, but then I was lonely. <laughs> um, you know, moving to a new place is yeah, hard. Absolutely. Don't know anyone. And so I was like, okay, well, I work from home, so I need to figure out something to do. Um, and I actually, I managed to bag my, my degree and career in art by working in coffee in Portland, uh, which is actually, if, if anyone is looking for a lucrative job in Portland, it is uh, coffee. Uh, and so I decided to apply to Traverse. I had sort of connected with Kyle before I even moved here, just as, I mean, like he opened uh, about three years ago when Taylor and I first started seeing each other. Um, and so I, I basically just like popped in and was like, thank you for bringing coffee to this area because wow, there was none. Uh, there's still barely any. Yeah. Yeah. Traverse (laughs) is amazing and spoke amazing. And before, yeah, it's hard. It, it really is hard. Um, but so he had, you know, basically, given me the opportunity to apply when I first met him uh, and was like, I'd love to have your experience. Uh, but I ended up, you know, not because I lived in Portland. I didn't live in Gardner. So when I moved back to Gardner, reached out to him uh, and he offered offered me a part-time job. So that that's where you found me is sort of just like trying to meet new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I only worked there like one one day a week, maybe two days a week. Uh, well, that's so funny that I ran into you then. Yeah, right? that's it kind is. of like weird. This cool. All, all yeah, the like a things. weird serendipitous thing. What? Well, and I was only there for a couple of months. Also, is is, a, yeah. is like very short period of time for very little time. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, that's kind of weird. I guess I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Um. Taylor worked at L.L. Bean. He's a bicycle mechanic. Um, and he was really starting to not like his job, as I feel like a lot of people feel working for L.L. Bean. It's a very big company, very many employees. Uh, I feel like that's the standard yeah. level of discontent in this country. <laughs> um, but uh, so he had been complaining about his job and my jobs were really demanding as well. Uh, well, not Traverse, but my, my job at Creative Portland uh, required a lot of attention. And uh, so I just sort of been like, well, you've always wanted to open your own shop. I, I mean, like one of our first conversations uh, was him, you know, telling me his, his dream of, of the coffee shop, bike shop and how coffee and cycling went hand in hand. Um, and, you know, we live right up the street from what was and is now Bentless Corner Brew. Um, but over the last three years, we watched it like everybody else not open. And so I was just like, well, what do we have to lose? Let's find out what's going on with this spot. Um, and so I literally wrote a letter and dropped it in the mailbox, basically being like, so we have dreams of coffee shop, bike shop, and it looks like you're going to put a coffee shop in here. So obviously, if you're going to do that, we're not going to try to start a coffee shop in Gardner. 
uh, and will support you and wish you nothing but luck, but it seems like you're not opening. So are you, are you trying to like get out from under this? Like, do you, is, is there a solution that provides us all with what we're looking for here? And, uh, Roger Bentliff messaged me the next day, uh, being like, the timing is wild. Uh, I just told my, my wife yesterday that I was not going to open the coffee shop and I was going to look for a tenant. Um, and so I was like, okay, when do you want to meet? (laughs) And so Taylor and I went and we met with him. Uh, we, you know, had the, the big conversation and Roger's got his own story and all of this as well. And he had a lot on his plate that he was dealing with. Um, and you know, like family medical issues and we all just like sort of hit it off. I like struck Roger in just the right way with my like passionate plea for, you know, business ownership, uh, which like is a joke. If just, I just like, I need everyone to know that starting a business is one of the most naivest things you could ever do. <laughs> so this was your first business. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's big. It definitely was far bigger than I ever imagined. Um, and I'm like a very capable person. Like I have been thrown many projects that I thought I wouldn't be able to handle and handled them just fine. Uh, this one definitely definitely blew me away (laughs) wow so you and taylor were the plan was to do this together yeah like it was like a mutual partner business partner thing yeah okay cool and so when we set the business up we set everything up 50 50 um and there are many different ways to set up a business uh it existed for so little time that i still can't even be sure that we did it right (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but uh so yeah, we set up everything 50-50. Uh, he was going to be the bike shop aspect because uh, Spoke Coffee was... The whole the whole plan was for us to have a bike shop, a coffee shop, and a collaborative art space. That was wow. like the full vision. And it was sort of funny even when we were looking at the space because like nobody had been in bin lifts before we opened Spoke. Um, and so you couldn't you wouldn't have had an idea of how much like space is available there. And it just, it really was laid out so perfectly. We had an entire basement space that we didn't even know was there. That could be the bike shop, which would fall under a lease that we were already leasing. And, uh, on the top floor, there were more commercial spaces being renovated. Uh, so a collaborative art space could have gone up there when, renovations were done and Roger had made it like very clear that he would give us like first priority where we already had like a a full like business plan and vision um and we're already renting from him uh and so we immediately were just like wow this is fate we have to do this um and as I already said I have an extensive background in coffee I had no qualms about running a coffee shop I've run coffee shops for other people before um, have intermittently consulted with other coffee shops that are trying to start. Um, and so it just sort of seemed perfect, but starting business is stressful. Mm. It's very, very stressful. Um, so cue all the fighting in relationship. Mm. Um, so that was where things started to like not get so fun. Um, 
And I, I will admit, he kept his job for, like, a long, a long while, even after we, like, started our lease. Um, and didn't seem particularly motivated to get things done at any particular time. He is also the financial person. I am, like, poor baby. Um, so, like, I didn't contribute anything financially to, to this whole thing. Um, and... I basically just, like, resigned to him being the financial back and me being, like, the laborer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, which I think made us clash in a lot of ways for different reasons. Um, but I guess the the progression of all of this is, is difficult because we, we broke up and we were still trying to do business. Um, but then business still got bad. Like he was mad, like very, very mad for a long time and still is probably. This was the one you moved into their apartment? Yep. Okay. Just making sure I'm on the same page. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Same partner. Yeah. Um, but things, things just like dramatically changed between us very quickly. Um, what do you think it was? Like, was there one thing or was it just, you weren't meant to be business partners? I, our relationship had its issues, uh, prior to this. Um, and I really, I think we were both sort of on the same page for a very long time about us not being compatible. Mm. Um, we are very different people. He is very logical, very straightforward, doesn't fuss around with too much. And I'm like the complete opposite very chaotic. I have like a thousand things happening at any given time. Uh, I am social. He is antisocial, you know, like the, the full spectrum, but like for whatever reason we had committed to trying to communicate better or something about our differences. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think can, can work for the most part in like low levels of stress. And when you're not like quite so tied, um, but after the business, we were tied all the time and totally. everything that we did was together. And so like, now you're not just the couple that like hangs and recreates and does family time together. You do your work life, you do your social life, all of it. It's all together. Um, and I am not that person. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> I know. So my partner and I have always said like, we would never really want to do a business together. I mean, it might eventually someday happen because of just ideas that we have but I just it would be hard it would be hard just to honestly see that person every single day in every situation too right Mm -hmm. because it's like it's nice to go to work and you have your work people and you do your thing and then it's nice to come home and you're together and you're doing your thing with him or her Mm -hmm. so I can see where that would be very butt heads and like yeah that would be hard it was and we we really did well I really did try to find ways to sort of circumnavigate that whole whole thing, but it really just, like, it got to a point where we were having the same conversation over and over and over again, but, like, so seemingly about something else and only talking about the business. Like like you said, you, you go to work and you, you have your, your own life and then you come home and you... you share that life with your partner right um but now we're at work talking about work and we're at home talking about work 
And there was, like, a period where I tried to say that, like, maybe we should just, like, have business meetings. But that didn't go anywhere, and we just continued to fight all of the time. Oh, and things were getting, like, pretty volatile between us. Um, He was just, like, very hostile all the time. Like, there was a, a point, like, we had staff. He was doing it in front of staff. Mm. Um, I like left the shop one day, uh, because he was just like being really mean. And then my manager messaged to tell me that he was turning people away, saying that the barista had left, um, whole thing. And like he, there's no reason to turn people away. He could have done what I was there to do. Right. Um, so I'd gone back and this is like the day of our ribbon cutting, mind you. Uh, so I went back and I was like, we can't both be here. And this is after all morning me trying to be like, we got off to the wrong foot. Like, how do we turn this around? Um, And so I finally went back to the shop and was like, obviously we can't both be here. It's just like not good. Customers are going to feel the tension. It's not fair to our employees if we're just here like fighting the entire time. Um, And so he left and I, I told him like the ribbon cuttings at noon, come back for that and that'll be all well and good but he didn't come back Hmm. um and so it was a long period of fighting and then he just decided that he was going to resign we we did try to figure out some some sort of way to like divide the tasks but this was like over a few days period where I was like these are all our options like I will do whatever it takes for everyone to get what they need out of the situation um, and he, he came back initially with, um, he just wanted to be the owner and he wanted me and the manager that we had hired to work for him. And I was like, I could do that for a time, but like, I need a deadline cause mm-hmm. I'm not going to work here forever. Like this isn't my career. If I'm not owning a coffee shop, there's not like, it's it literally like a backward step for me. Um, and that, oh, I was like, I, I need you to, like, pay me $20 an hour at least. Um, and he said that he wouldn't agree to that until he talked to a lawyer. Um, and so there was, like, conversation about, like, splitting up the ownership. Like, I would be fully in charge and have autonomy in the coffee shop and he would be fully in charge and have autonomy in the bike shop and would figure out the collaborative art space if we were still going to do that as time went on um and ultimately he resigned he went and saw a lawyer he got like the paperwork or whatever and came and we both signed it even I told him that I thought it was a bad idea and that there were plenty of other ways and I did even offer you know, to, like, step down as owner and, like, stay for as long as he needed me to, like, pay or no pay, like, whatever, I'll get you set up. Um, and he, even though he was the one who offered it, said that he didn't want that either. And I will admit that Taylor comes from a very different life than I do. Mm-hmm. His family is well off. His family's family is well off. Um, he would tell you just as readily that he hasn't worked for any of the money that he has. Um, but I, so, is, so 
30 grand is what he put down and 30 grand is what he walked away from. Mm-hmm. He didn't get any of that. Neither of us took any money from the business. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so, uh, he resigned and said that he would stay and help for like until I could hire more people and replacements. This is like when, when we are now in conversation. Okay. Um, and at first I wasn't totally sure that I was going to need to hire people because I had a friend in Portland who wanted to move to this area, but he backed out. Um, and you know, we were going into winter. So, um, my manager and I could have like potentially figured out how to, how to do that, you know, stay closed for two days a week. Um, and I did end up hiring one part-time person and like, also, when I, I sent, like, our manager home early, uh, and when she came in for her interview, Taylor and I had, like, previously, it was, like, the last slow hour of the day, and we were there alone together, <laughs> and so we were literally, like, screaming at each other. I'm, I'm, like, in tears, being like, how could you do this to me? Um, and then, like, cue poor little Rissa walking in for her <laughs> oh, interview, no. and me being like, hey. <laughs> everything's good here. <laughs> Thank you for wanting to work here. <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, but she was totally cool. Totally, totally cool. Just like down for whatever. Very compassionate, empathetic, understanding person. Aww. Um, And she does still work there now. Oh, cool. So um, she transferred to the new owner. Yeah, yeah. He, cool. he picked up everyone, including my mama. Oh, awesome. I'm not sure it's what my mom wanted to be doing. I'm like a little worried that she's like trapped there. But... Against her will. She's like, damn it, mommy. No. I don't know how to say no <laughs> Everyone else I feel like I provided for, but I like feel like I threw my mom into a hole and was like, oh. Oh see you later. Oh my gosh, that's so, that's crazy. But she seems happy. She does seem happy. She really likes Roger. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, and he pays her well. Good. Well, I guess I'll go try coffee there then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels weird when I when I drive by and the sign doesn't say spoke coffee. I'm just like, meh. I, <laughs> I will admit, I like needed that sign to come down like mm, for no. my soul. That okay, that makes sense. Okay, then maybe that makes me feel better. That yes. it, like And this is why I'm happy to be to tell this story just in general, because like I really don't want anybody to like boycott bent lifts or anything like that because roger really was like roger sounds amazing honestly mm-hmm. like to to for you to come with this vision that's going to bring such good things to the community and bring the community together and to support you and take a chance and just be like yeah let's go for it and who knows like where they were at with you know that because i've i've looked in those windows and i've been like what is this business it's so beautiful like why isn't it open and and then when it did open as spoke i was like oh my god it's so magical (laughs) and so just and knowing that there's more space there that can turn into something that's Mm -hmm. so like i love the idea of having like a shared art space me too. And I think the community really needs that. So when I heard about Abby was telling me about her interview and she was just like, Oh my god, I met this girl, she's so cool. And I was like, <laughs> like, dude, that sounds amazing. I hope we get to work there. Like mm-hmm. but yeah. it sounds like all of this needed to happen for a reason and it, it sounds like it's supporting the bent lifts too. And mm-hmm. then I I'm now I'm just so curious like what the future holds for you. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so the collaborative art space is, I, I still, and probably like forever and ever, amen, uh, will work for uh, Space Gallery in Portland. So cool. I've been there for a couple shows. Yes. It's amazing. Uh, it is like the premier collaborative art space in Maine. And it really is. Honestly, I grew up at space. I, I would not be the person that I am today if I hadn't had all of the experiences. And I've seen space through many different transitions and directors, interim directors. Um, and like a lot of the people who are still there, like the film programmer and music programmer are like actual members of my family like I mean not literal members of my family but <laughs> I hold them very close to my heart I've known them for a long period of time and I I think like everybody needs a space like that like yeah. if I hadn't been in Portland I wouldn't have had that experience and the rest of Maine just like really needs it we're so mm. spread out and separated and I feel like especially the arts community like you, you see like little pockets of like collectives and stuff trying to band together and like enrich their communities um and that's that's ultimately what art is i mean like life is beautiful and art is sort of like the the like ritual of appreciating that um and give me chills yeah that was (laughs) so beautifully said (laughs) thank you but it's like it is important i can't i feel like it's um brene brown i feel like talked about something something similar about like the idea of like connectivity and vulnerability um being being the the things that like we are actually living for like right people have their careers and their houses and the things that they do day in and day out but ultimately our goal is for that feeling of love and connection mm-hmm. and i I don't think many things in life make that as palatable as art. Like if, and like, I'm using art as like the broadest term here at this point, because like, so you imagine going out to dinner with someone you love or a friend or whatever, and you could sit at the booth at Subway, uh, and eat from your, from your paper and your plastic or whatever. And it's still a meal. You're still sharing that time, but like, Imagine even like the same exact food, but not in that plastic booth with the plastic wrapping and whatever. Like imagine you have plates and silverware and like actual glasses that you're drinking out of and maybe a candle and maybe it smells nice in the room or maybe there are colorful curtains or whatever, any number of things. And now your ability to connect with one another is easier because you're like feeling fulfilled by your environment and I feel like that's what art does is it like facilitates these connections um and makes us more capable or more willing for those like moments of vulnerability which is vulnerability is hard for everyone even the people who are like I'm a vulnerability champion which like (laughs) I would consider myself to be but I also am that person that's like I know them like festivals and I've been a part of these like immersive art experiences that have like 
really made me feel like life is worth living and like connected me to some of the most amazing people I've ever met. And it was, and I've never thought of how that like experience was so enhanced that it made me more vulnerable and that it affected me in a way that I was able to like love and like, I've never thought about it like that. And then I was just like, Poosh! Like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I mean, even if you think about, like, your experience with music, like, ultimately what you are feeling is that, that level of connection. And if you, if you separate the, like, I guess, unavoidability of hearing music from your personal experience, right? Because, like, if somebody's playing music, you're hearing it. Uh, it's, like, an easy way of connecting. But art is always like that. You just have to, like, pay attention more. You're not just going to, like, see it, hear it, or whatever. What, um, what kind of art do you make? I have made all sorts of art throughout my life. I'm not really much of a 3D person, but I have made 3D art, including Your earrings. earrings. Beautiful. Those Thank are you. Um, but I went to school for painting. I paint mostly in oils, um, but I have done murals and acrylics. Obviously, don't want to do it. A mural in oil. Um, oh, obviously. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, duh. Everyone knows that, mommy. <laughs> it would take a very long time to draw. Okay. <laughs> okay. But uh, currently, I do uh, black ink illustrations. Uh, so that's, for the last couple of years, that's been mostly what I've been doing I'm currently trying to uh, put together an illustrated poetry book uh, that sort of speaks to the last three years of my life, which begins with my father's suicide, but mostly like what, what the overall theme is, is sort of like the idea of like death and rebirth with rebirth being the the motive there because like you really can't in the within the poetry I, I often relate it to like forest ecology like you're like if you cut down a bunch of trees the you can you can walk away and the forest is gonna is gonna handle it and like 10 years from from now or then or whenever it was you're gonna have like a completely different forest it's not even it's not it the forest will never grow back the same way twice. So, like, where you once had, like, big, thick trees, you may now have, like, a thousand tiny little trees. Or maybe you have more bushes or ferns or whatever. Um, it's just going to be different. But it still will be reborn. Um, Are you into mushrooms? I am. Okay. <laughs> I also am really into mushrooms, so that makes me really happy. I just get my... I kept just, like, imagining mushrooms when you were talking about that. It's really funny that you... We're thinking of mushrooms, though, because mushrooms play a huge role in the opening poem of the illustrated book, uh, and they come up in uh, my drawings all of the time. Okay. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> intuitive over here. Um, <laughs> okay, so I would love to talk more about all of that. I, more recently in my life, have been kind of diving into this the idea of death mm. and what happened like what do I really feel like happens after that and I feel like in our society we just we're so weird about death but it's so important to talk about because it's 
it literally happens to everyone, everything. It's a part of life. Correct. And you can't have life without death. And so it's weird to me. I mean, I'll just speak for myself. Like, I grew up in a society, in a family, whatever, that this, like, we didn't talk about it. And I'm lucky to say that, like, I haven't really experienced a lot of death in my life, like, close family members. And so it wasn't until, but like I said, like, fairly recently when I lost my grandpa that I really started to think about all of this and like why aren't we talking about it and then it made me feel so uncomfortable thinking about it that I was like okay I've got to dive deeper into this because clearly this is something that I need to work out myself Mm -hmm. because up until you know that point I would I would I would say that I had a weird relationship with death was kind of afraid of it like didn't have a clear picture for myself what that meant and so now I love talking about it. <laughs> and so, like, I would love to hear just whatever you want to talk about it. But, like, do you, what do you believe in? What do you think happens once we, once we die? Mm. It is sort of interesting because I have a different experience with death, almost like the reverse. So my entire life, I experienced death uh, from a very young age, whether it was pets. We had tons of pets. Um, and my grandmother died very young and I like steadily continued losing grandparents as I got older. Um, I do just have one Nana left. Um, and I think that my whole life I was like very comfortable with this. I sort of, it was almost like something that I look forward to is like not the not the best thing, but I was like curious about it. Mm-hmm. Like, how must it feel? Our, one of the first conversations I had with Taylor actually was me being like, "How do you think you might feel like five, ten years before your death? Like when you when you just like know I will not make it another ten years. Yeah, and you're just a waiter. Um, those those sorts of things like always always made me so curious and so interested, and I. I remember even when, when my papa died, I was, like, sad, but I felt comforted because he had been ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that I was, like, a very well-adjusted death person. Um, and it wasn't until my dad died that all of that just got, like, ripped out from under me. That, like, comfort of death and the, the knowledge and the curiosity, uh, all of it stripped well, away. But the, the circumstance... If he took his own life, that that's a totally different way I think to experience death, and it's very, um, it's scary and traumatic, and it, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't experienced that in my own life. I just like have thought about what that would feel like, and um, it's it's like experiencing a murder and losing someone, and but also you're it's from illness and yeah, mm-hmm. and it. And I just think that's it's so much harder to deal with than just, like, someone dying from, like, a car accident or their old age or something. Mm-hmm. And it is it is the suicide aspect of it that, for many of the reasons that you, you mentioned, um, but also because of the idea of the, of the afterlife, right? Because, like, especially in this, like, pseudo-Christian sort of climate that we that we exist in the idea that if you kill yourself, you don't, you don't get your paradise, whatever paradise is for you. It's just like a common understanding that like, it's the big no. And if you do it, 
much like murder of any person, you will not go where you're supposed to. Right. Um, and I've never been a very religious person. Um, my, my Nana was Catholic. My dad was raised Catholic, uh, which means that he grew up very like anti-religion. Um, I mean, he grew up to be very anti-religion. Uh, he would very often tell stories about his like Catholic schooling and the, the nuns with rulers or whatever. Um, and, uh, so, and I've always been spiritual. My, uh, mom falls into the pseudo-Christian sort of sect, but also, uh, pretty much anyone who, who knows her would say that she is like in touch with something else. Um, she herself up until my dad died was very like afraid of, of things like that. Like, uh, she would not let a Ouija board in the house. Like none of, none of those things. Like as a kid, it's just like goofy stuff for you. But my mom was very much like, we don't mess with that. We don't talk about it. We don't mess with it. I remember so many times trying to talk to my mom about like my spiritual feelings or intuitions. And every single time she was like, don't mess with it. Um, and so spirituality was always like pretty private for me like my mom had very different views my my dad was just like not into it um and so I I kept things mostly to myself and um really all I could say is spiritual is that I think that there is more that we are experiencing and whether or not that is like for religious or scientific reasons, I'm, I'm not sure, but like there are things that we can't address in, in like our society, uh, through either of those means, Mm -hmm. right? Like we can't, we can't get the answers. And so like, I think, and this may be offensive, but if you don't, if you're not believing something, then, I, I really, like, don't know how people, like, make it through their day-to-day life without just, like, actually being ignorant. Because there are questions that don't have answers. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so that's where I fall. <laughs> I am a skeptic by nature. Um, and so, like, for instance, like, these, these like, moments of intuition. Like, you, you assuming the... Uh, or thinking of mushrooms when I'm talking about, like, my work, when mushrooms play a large role in that. Like, that very well could be, like, a spiritual, intuitive thing. But it could also just be, like, it took us decades and decades to find out that, like, a mushroom can speak, in Richmond, can speak to a mushroom in Gardner. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't know that at one point. And, like, how do we know that there isn't something more at play in our brains being, like, well, we're having this, like, moment of connectivity. Right. And so, like... That is the best way that I can ex- explain my spiritual self is that, like, I recognize the questions, but I have never felt the, like, burden of needing to answer them for myself. Mm-hmm. As far as the afterlife goes, I fall more to, like, a scientific side, which is, like, energy is neither lost uh, nor destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I really, I think, like, reincarnation would be the closest thing that would be understandable in how I think about it, which is just that, like, literally our bodies will disintegrate into the earth and the earth will create more things with it. Our energy is dispelled and moved into a collective energy, wherever that may be, and as sources need it, it takes that energy back. 
Um, I don't necessarily believe in like, like your whole thing being reincarnated. Like I think like when, imagine all of us die right now and nobody touches this space ever again and we disintegrate into the earth, our energy is expelled. I think like whatever comes from that could be pieces of all of us pieces of some of us and other pieces go elsewhere you know what I mean like I don't I don't think like my essence is going to be recreated in any particular way because I think nature is far more chaotic than that and far smarter Mm -hmm. than that Um, so you don't necessarily believe that like your soul well this is put into someone else or something else and then like the soul thing gets tricky for me okay just because I don't necessarily not believe in ghosts and so I, this is like one area where I've like struggled with because like there are such thing, things as like energy imprints, like light can happen even when there's like non-existent energy or something. Um, and I think like maybe that could be it, but the, the topic of souls in general is one that I have not landed anywhere with. I, I commonly like refer to my soul, but I don't know if that will live on. I don't know that it won't live on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to me because I, I will think in circles because like beingness to me at times is so individualized. It's so like, I am me. I have a soul. I am this entity, but I think beingness is also infinitely connected and is everythingness at the same time. Like it's, that oneness but it's also everything and so it's I don't know it's kind of crazy to think about that like like what you're saying to me I'm like oh it's like your soul can become everything not just be it that one soul that right you know what I it can disperse and like she said kind of like become the essence or whatever can like become other things and then yeah I've never really thought of it that way either I like but that, that almost kind of makes more sense to me well and I think that's like why I I am that person that's always trying to make sense of something uh most of the time with the spiritual things I I resign to like being contented um but if there's something that I feel like has like more science sciencey sort of backgrounds and ways of being then I will sort of try to unearth that Well, I think science is a tool to help us understand. It's just that it's kind of, we think we're really advanced, but it's actually quite primitive Mm -hmm. as far as like understanding all of this and we're still learning. And it's, you can look at textbooks from 20 years ago and they're completely wrong Mm -hmm. because we've learned new stuff now and we're like, oh, actually. (laughs) And it's also depending on the lens through which you're looking at things. And like, I'm not going to go on a whole feminist rant, but um, like there's things where like, there's men that have been in medicine and they would look at things like um there's like science that proves that a female egg pulls the sperm in Mm -hmm. it's not like the sperm torpedo like (laughs) sniper rifle bullet going at the egg it's like the egg is like i got you and and if what i'm gonna go down that road but it's like because of the people that were telling this story and looking at the science, they were, like, making these assumptions and trying to prove their assumptions. And that's what people do in science. They make a hypothesis, and they try to prove if it's right or not. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. so, but, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is very much, like, how, how I approach most things. I'll try to figure it out first. And if I don't have the tools to do that, 
that is where I like leave it up to spirituality. Um, and so it, it feels like to me, like with the afterlife, we've made it pretty far in the understanding. You know what I mean? Like we, we know what happens to our body when it dies and we know what happens to energy when it's no longer contained. Um, which is pure chaos, by the way, like it, there's no direction it goes. It literally just goes. Um, and so like if, if you just like strip all of that down and you want to connect soul to energy, it, it makes perfect sense to lean more towards reincarnation because it's, it's, it is the most like logical, I think, Mm -hmm. scientifically logical explanation for what happens afterward in the afterward or whatever. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well said. Man, you're just blowing my mind over and over again. I have to ask you to really back. We're going back to mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, before I ask that, I want to just talk about your the book that you're making, the poetry book. Mm-hmm. Um, is when is that going to be a thing? <laughs> so um, I don't. I don't actually have a timeline for it, but I will say that a majority of it has already been created. I'm just now in the the organizing and figuring out how I want to tell the story, which is, is sort of funny because like you think like, well, you start at the beginning and you finish at the end. But I feel like with like what I'm trying to say, it can't just be like chronological. Mm-hmm. It has to like happen sort of in the way that it all happened for me, which is much like grief of any kind it happens like forwards and backwards and sideways and all sorts of ways. And like, what like with the poetry specifically like I want it to have a flow like throughout the whole book I want each each piece to speak to the previous piece but I also I want like the the first piece to foreshadow the last piece and I want somewhere in the middle to speak to something totally benign in the in the beginning just enough to make you be like was that something because like that's I want the book to be an immersive sort of experience where like it's going to be brief um but like the more you read it the more sort of unveils and like it doesn't really matter like I don't want it to be specifically about like my father's suicide and like the grief throughout that I want it to be something that can like speak to anyone that's going through a significant rebirth of their own mm-hmm. um so that is so like ultimately what I'm saying is all the pieces have to be tweaked like just enough that they can be cohesive. So that process could I could wake up one night and be like done with it. Um <laughs> or it could take me like another year. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been working on it? Uh probably I've been creating. I didn't create for like the first year after my dad. Um, and then started creating pretty rapidly after that. So I did a full series of illustrated drawings already um, and had the the How to Forgive Death piece uh, up at Space, actually. Oh, very cool. Um, so most of the illustrated works are done. I'll probably, once again, rework them so they speak a little bit more to the poems I'm going to assign them to. And the poems already exist, but they're, they were all written at very different times for very different reasons. Um, so it's, it really is, it's, the book is done. The, the content exists. 
it just needs to come together in a way. Yeah. And, and I've just like now reached a point where I can actually like focus on it. Right. Well, the coffee shop drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I want to ask something. You absolutely don't have to do this if you don't want to, but I was wondering if you'd want to share either a memory or something that you just really love loved about your dad. Mm. So I think the most important thing that I could share about my dad is he really did set me up for the life that I have, which I mean, I know we're talking about like my business failure and all of that, but I really do. I was capable of having a good life because he constantly like imprinted on me the idea that like I should not live for money. I should live for myself and that I should always like try to do what I love instead of like doing what I feel like I need to do. Um, and he was a musician, uh, so he he was like the rock star dad, um, sort of zany, <laughs> um, and very free spirit of his own. But I I just he was like my my biggest supporter. You know, like as an artist, it's easy to have like imposter syndrome and be like, what I'm doing is meaningless and has no point, and I may as well just like stop. And he was always the one who was, like, putting putting the stop to that sort of thinking and making sure that, like, I knew. I, like, remember what he always used to said, say is, uh, uh, I need to start signing my work as Bobby Marie instead of Bobby Puricello. Because Bobby Marie is easier, easier to find. And it just, like, has a ring to it. Like, this piece by Bobby Marie. I can, like, still, <laughs> still remember. He, he was ranting to me about it. Like, he, he, like, really wanted me to, like, turn how I signed my work around. Um, <laughs> and so he was that person for me. The person that, like, made me believe that I could have a passionate life of art. Um, and, you know, like, when you, when you tell people you're going to school for art or that you want to be an artist or whatever, like, most of the time it's... it's I feel like especially when I was growing up, people were like, sure. Um, I got that too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or people don't know, they we live in a society where it's all about this work machine and productivity and what's valuable in society where like you outlined why art is so valuable. And I was one of those people, even as an artist that couldn't see that, you know what I mean? And I think that society collectively, we're, we're just like, oh, unless it's like doing this very like, I don't know, work-oriented thing that we pay money for, you know? But it, Capitalism! Yeah, <laughs> and so I get that. I'm, not, I'm so glad that you, like, to me, I'm just hearing, like, you're, you were supported in living a life of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, I mean, like, with all of the problems that I had in my relationship with my dad, I would take them all ten times over for that message. Because, like, I don't... Like, I even think right now. So, like, technically, I mean, apart from space, I am unemployed. Um, And so, like, thinking of that that next step forward, and especially, so, like, I've never lived alone. I've lived with partners and roommates and things like that, but I've never lived alone. So, I'm, like, now in this, in this, like, okay, well, maybe I should find, I just, like, need to take a job right away. I just, I just need to start making money, and then I'll figure out what I want to do after that. And every time I, like, have a thought like that, I, like, hear and feel my dad. Being like, you have time, find something you want to do. Um, and 
I couldn't be more grateful for that because I do see a lot of people just like doing whatever it is that they, they need to do, whatever they can in order to make money. And then it, it's sort of like that repetition. Like you, you just become so ingrained in the idea that like you need to make money, you need to pay somebody in order to be able to like live the life that you want. And so it doesn't matter what you do for work because like as long as you're getting money, that that's enough. Right. And for me, that has never been enough. And I'm glad. I mean, sometimes I'm a little remiss that it's not enough because sometimes. Because <laughs> sometimes it's, it feels like it's not. Yeah. Well, but, then it's, but then it's like, is that just the conditioning that we've been told? Because Christy and I have had the same conversation where it's hard for us just to have a job, mm-hmm. just any old job. It just, it needs to feel like it's, it, there's more, there's more mm-hmm. to it for us. And so I can totally relate to that. And it's hard, it's hard to feel. It's almost easier if we didn't have that because then we would just take whatever job and it would be fine, right? And then you would just like be it's the sheep following the herd type thing. But exactly. but when you're kind of like awakened to that idea, then it's like you can't go back. Like I can never think of a job like just having a job and it needs to mean more. And when it feels unfulfilling, then you're like, fuck, I need to find something different. different. Yeah, yeah, and just like, because I know Christy and I have both been kind of in that in that boat of like, some days our job just isn't what we want it to be. Like, what else could, is out there? But then it also feels like you're just chasing. You're just kind of, like, chasing this, I don't even know, or on this hamster wheel of job after job. Because yeah. it's, like, not fulfilling. But but then, I, but then I think that maybe I do need to look away from jobs to fulfill me, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, it'd be the art or it'd be things that you do or the hobbies. But it's still... I don't know, but then it just goes back to like, yeah, but I spend so much time in my job that I just can't not like it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I think it is it is a balance, right? Because like, I definitely know people who are doing nothing for money, um, and they seem very stressed out too. Uh, and it's not because they can't do things for money. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> um, but they they have totally chosen the passion project, right? So like, they're never gonna have like a place of their own. But I mean, like, they don't need those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what they're doing what they need to be happy. And I think, like, the rest of us are all doing that as well. Um, the, the mentality, though, falls in... I have, like, this whole thing about, like, ignorance is bliss. It's something that I, like, think about. Because, like, knowledge is power, right? That's the... Right. The opposite of that. And the... <laughs> <laughs> I just feel... Like, you, you can't prevent yourself from knowing things. Because, like, you can't anticipate them. Like, none of us are... Well, I can't say that either. But I can't see the future. Um, and it just, like... So many people get it easy, right? You go through high school. You you maybe never have to experience death or trauma or anything. You do what's expected of to you. Maybe you go and get your your undergrad degree and you take your nine to five and you you meet your lady or your man and you have babies and you get your minivans and your tvs and whatever um and people are happy with that Mm -hmm. they they just continue on life is very easy they never have to have like any level of ignorance shattered uh so they live blissfully and obviously i'm not saying that these people live perfectly but blissfully um and I, I can say pretty definitively that I think any one of us, like, think of that life and we're like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me out. Give me out. Yeah, no, totally. Exactly. Exactly. I'm bored out of my mind. 
yeah. But so that that falls into the ignorance is bliss because like is it really? Because like we have the knowledge to believe that like we are empowered by not having the bliss. Mm. But we also we can't possibly imagine stripping ourselves of all of the things that got us to here, which I I can imagine is a fair amount of trauma because I feel like most people who move away from the ignorance is bliss sort of mentality are the people who had ignorance shattered for them at a very young age. Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I, I know the struggle trying to figure out like how much should I give and how much should I get in regards to professional life? Mm. What would be like your dream as far as career or anything like that? Like what is like, what is it for you? I honestly would just love to be like a project manager or like facilitator for a collaborative art space. If I could have my own collaborative art space, then like that would be it. Um, I don't know how many more men are going to come along and drop 30 grand in my lap. But, <laughs> um, that would be the dream. That was like the main reason why I held on to the coffee shop for as long as I could because once the bike shop wasn't go- gonna go in in the basement I was like I'll just I'll just do the collaborative art space down there then um and I just really like working with like-minded people and playing and being sort of curious about what might happen if you if you do this or play this sound or use this color for this place or this tool for this project or whatever any any number of things I I just like the inability to predict what you're going to have or come out with from a collaborative art space um and like the intense vulnerability that is needed to even make it sort of something productive which it's not my favorite word but um you know like you could put plenty of people in a room together and most of the time I feel like people are probably going to be like, I am nervous and (laughs) I do not know you and I kind of want to leave. Um, and like I have seen, I've seen it even in like creative spaces. Um, I had actually gone to like a, a panel for when I was working at creative Portland, the director was supposed to go, but she never went to anything. So I always had to, um, and, uh, but it was, I think they were just trying to discuss, like, programming that they thought was needed in the area and wanted to, like, interface with people to see what they thought. Um, and without the facilitator, nobody in that room would have spoken. It, I, could, I could feel the tension. But, I mean, like, it was... A bunch of different creative people pulled from many, many different parts of Maine talking about the same thing. And I'm sure everybody like me had no real idea of what we were like doing here. Um, but they're creative people, right? You would expect if we, if you just put creative people together, then they'll do it. They'll do the thing. But the thing that you don't really understand about creative people is that they're also like very reserved most of the time. Um, and I think like to be an artist takes a a certain amount of courage, but building up the courage to be an artist takes time and the right environment. And I've seen so many instances where like you have the right facilitator and 
that that is where the magic happens. Like you you create the atmosphere that people feel free to be vulnerable in. Um, and I'm not sure if this will always be the case for me or always be what I feel pulled towards. But just in my career as it is now, this is this is where I have like the most experience and also have like found my best way in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would it would definitely be like facilitator in in an creative art space. I love that. I love that too. And I love that your idea of a facilitator is someone who makes connections and helps people rather than I'm the boss who tells everyone what to do. I this is like why I didn't go into education. I feel like people who teach often have that sort of mentality. This is the reason why I didn't want to be a business owner. Um, I, I feel like it, in our society, we sort of, we like look at business owners and like, that's what we, we think we, we see the, the cost and benefit analysis and, uh, how you have to like choose the business over yourself, over your employees, over basically anything else. Um, and when you're in that sort of like stressful situation, like obviously it has to be like, somebody has to make a rule. Um, and this has to be how we operate. Otherwise, your business is going to fail. And that, that was like a big challenge for me being a business owner just in general is the, the idea that everything had to sort of happen a certain way in order for you to like meet your goals. Um, so I had a lot of dreams crushed in, in business ownership. Like um, the whole farm to table thing. Uh, unrealistic, if you were ever wondering. For poor people. Um, it's just not an expense that any new business can afford unless they have like a lot of money to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was taking on employees, like figuring out how much I could pay people and like, I really did not like the numbers. (laughs) I just like, I want to. I want people to be able to, like, be paid reasonably for, like, whatever they're doing. But coffee shops don't make any money. Um, and so there was, there was a lot of push and pull with myself with the business because you do sort of have to be that, that, like, the facilitator that is just telling everybody, like, how things go. And I tried to make it something else and, like, leave room for other people to, to make the shop what they wanted um but I'm either just like not good at facilitating like that sort of environment like service or it's just like it's not an area where you can like allow that that sort of flexibility um because it just made things very confusing there was nothing like mainstream nothing or not mainstream streamlined there's nothing streamlined about the the processes to things which like as an individual I find easy enough to do but you know when it's when it's not your shop or your restaurant or your vision I I people just like aren't comfortable taking that that first step of this is what I want um even if they are feeling that way so maybe there's room for me to grow in the in the like how to facilitate a business in a collaborative way but uh, it was hard, and I will 
very likely never be the type of person who can be like, this is how things are. Yeah. Well, and that's okay because we need people like you in this world too. Because yeah. cause I was, when you were saying that, in my mind, I was like, oh, I could totally do that. Because I'm a very like practical things in order type person. Mm-hmm. But it, what's what's funny is that in my life, I tend to attract or be attracted to the opposite type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, Christy, like you're like, you're just like, I always say like, you're just like so like free flowing and just so artistic and like, you just go with it. And you seem to be the same and same with my partner and like other people and friends in my life. And so, yeah, I mean, we obviously need people like you on the planet. Otherwise it would be not good either. Right. There's a balance. And also going back to kind of the, the art space that ideally you would want to have or own or whatever someday. I think that would be so important because, you know, I think there's room for art in everyone's life. And some some people's lives, art is um, forever in the forefront. Like, it seems like for you two, that has been the case. Like, art clearly has been a huge part of your life. Um, and, I'll, you know, I can obviously only speak for my experience, but art has kind of ebbed and flowed in my life. And the reason why it's had a lot of valleys as opposed to peaks is because of what you were talking about, which is that vulnerability piece of like, who the fuck am I to do this and think that my stuff is good enough for anyone to care about other than like me caring about it. Right. But I don't know. It's like to create a space for people to go and feel that, feel that validation and, to just know that like whatever you do, whatever you create is good enough and you're good enough. And um, I don't know, I just think that's really important because I know a lot of people get, again, I'll speak for myself, I get in my own way with art thinking it's just like, why would I do that? Because it just doesn't seem like, you know, like it's it's just, I don't know, not good enough or whatever the case. And that's my own thing, but, <laughs> but I think that could be a blanket statement for a lot of people. Well, it could. So imposter syndrome is rampant in the art community, just, just period. And you are not going to find a person who creates art that can like easily say that they feel like they've created something they feel proud of. Um, and, or created something that they wanted to create. I feel like that's actually probably far more accurate because like I've created some, some pretty good pieces, but like I was not trying to create whatever I made. <laughs> um, and, and just just that level of like not not being able to see the results you wanted, I feel like is that is that like initial sort of deterrent. Like right, you, you try to draw the hand and it comes out like a tree or something. Um, and you're just very disappointed because you're seeing a tree when you wanted to see a hand. But if you, if you showed it to somebody else and they had no expectations of what they were looking at, they, they think it's just a beautiful tree. Um, and I feel like that, that's just like how a lot of people who don't put art at the forefront of their lives sort of approach their own work is, is that sort of like expectation and disappointment and all of that, which like, 
I don't think a single artist came out of the womb able to draw a hand or a tree. <laughs> right. Um, I definitely have, like, created so, so much terrible art. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> like, pieces that I genuinely, like, I worked hard on, but, like, cannot face to this day. Cannot um, face. <laughs> but, I mean, but, I mean, I guess, like, the, the difference, though, with you two is that you kept at it. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where someone like me in my experience I'm like fuck this like I'm yeah. not like I like this is stupid I'm not doing this anymore you know or whatever or I'm like okay that's not for me I'm gonna try this this type of art or whatever mm-hmm. and I'm even experiencing that now like I'm trying to learn to play the spoons I've been like a percussionist my whole life and like I just really wanted to learn how to play the spoons which is like super random mm-hmm. but I'm like I live in an apartment and I can't have a drum set so um <laughs> so it's like the next best thing right yeah. and like I like I've been telling myself to practice every day like just for a little bit just like do it but then I just have these moments where I'm like Ah, this is frustrating like why am I not picking this up as fast or whatever my expectation of it was different than like in my mind I'm like I can play it perfectly but then when I go to do it it's not like happening as well or quickly or whatever and so I don't know I guess with that long rant I just wanted to say that you both are very inspirational because like you said like you've created bad art but the thing is like you just kept going when I think the, the biggest part of that, though, is that I had the right facilitators. I had the mm. right amount of people asking me to try again. Yeah. And, and that, so my dad was a musician. He very much was a, a repetition person. Like, practice makes perfect. Like, you want to do something, it doesn't matter if you can't do it. If you continue trying to do it, you eventually will be able to. Um, so with that in mind, and my sister also, she doesn't draw anymore, but when I was younger, she was like 10 years older than me, she drew all the time. And I would regularly, like, trace over her drawings uh, to her dismay. <laughs> um, but, you know, that bratty little sister thing. <laughs> uh, and I, her boyfriend at the time was also an artist. Um, and he, while she was very upset with me for tracing her drawings, he was like, let's see you do it on your own. Um, and so it's, it's all these little moments of like the right type of facilitator. And I, I personally just got lucky. There wasn't anyone in particular that like stands out apart from my dad as like my major, like do it again person. Um, but I, I will say there were plenty of little points where I was like it's not enough and somebody was there to be like but have you looked at it this way Mm. Um, or have you tried it this way so do you feel like if you didn't have those facilitators in your life that you would be an artist now absolutely not being an artist is scary uh even calling myself an artist to this day one of my co-workers at space I went to an event the other night and she introduced me to one of the the new employees as an artist and even when I hear that I and this is something I've like sold plenty of work I've had my work up places I work in art establishments and I still when I hear artists I'm like what <laughs> can't say that <laughs> like look behind um, you like what are you talking about yeah no literally exactly um and that's vulnerability is hard and art is where we see our failures literally on paper (laughs) and like on display yeah exactly yeah and so it's instinctual i think for anyone to want to run away from that 
Um, and there are, pl there are likely plenty of things that you face every day as you're like, I can't remember if it's left or right brain. I'm pretty sure it's in your left brain type of logical way of thinking. Yeah, I think it's left brain. Yeah. Um, and that I couldn't possibly imagine like being good at or feeling confident in, but you were facilitated in that direction. And I'm sure, you know, nature nurture. Sure. Well, but. you also just said that you have been a lifelong percussionist and like we do not acknowledge that you're a musician and that is like <laughs> like I I can make physical like drawing, sculpture, whatever, fiber art, but I can't play any instruments and I've always loved music and I've always wanted to be able to play an instrument and it's just so hard for me. So the fact that you can do any kind of music is pretty amazing. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I mean, it's it's one of those things, kind of with your the word artist, you're like, <laughs> I don't really talk about it because it's, it's weird. And I'm not really always great about talking about myself either. Like, that's a very vulnerable thing for me in general. Um, so, yeah, I just, like, don't, I mean, I don't even know that I've ever said that to you. And I've known no, you for a while like, now. <laughs> don't really talk about it because it's, I don't know why. I don't know why I don't talk about it. And Probably because you know if somebody knows, they might ask you to show them one day. Totally. And I mean, and like, I mean, I, you, I can play the guitar too and like, I used to like write music and like recorded some of it and I don't even like, I don't even, it's like right now I'm like getting hot and flustery because I'm like, it's so vulnerable. It's such a raw feeling to be an artist or to like, create something like that and then again to feel like it's okay in this world just how it is right it it really it really really is but that's why we need more more facilitators but also people who are like willing to bring all that to the table because it is scary mm -hmm. well um, sorry oh, no. oh i was just gonna say you were talking about how your facilitators helped you continue to be an artist and for me what helped me continue to be an artist i had some facilitators but then i just like there's all these fucking amazing artists out there that I got to experience their art. And I was just like, this is it. This is everything. I need to do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try really hard. And I'm going to be like these people because they have it figured out. And I love everything that they're doing. And I want to do this too. And so being one of those people that puts their out, art out into the world for other people to experience is the other thing that's going to help people become artists and, mm. yeah yeah well seeing that that they're being vulnerable and like in your situation it sounds like it was more like closer people to you like no keep doing it like you're you know whatever and then like christy yeah it was more kind of like not necessarily people you knew or maybe it was but just like people on the outside and you're like i want to do that and i'm going to do that yeah i don't know i get right there's all sorts of ways i guess to be a facilitator is i guess what you were saying yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know why the i a sort a story sort of popped up in my mind while you two were talking about that the one of the facilitators that i had was a painting instructor in college and he actually um he's a very goofy guy but he had us all we had the same size canvases the same same types of brushes same types of paint and we each had to like start a um a figure drawing we had models and stuff like that. So we were sitting in different spots of the room in a circle around a uh, naked lady. And uh, typically when you do a figure figure painting, you have to um, 
you know, start to finish. You do the whole thing. Um, you only have like three hours in a studio class to get it down. So, you know, you have to like bide your time while you want a finished painting by the end of the class. Um, but for this specific lesson, he had had us like every five minutes move to the chair next to us. So like musical chairs. Oh, wow. Um, and that I think was probably one of the most like releasing moments in my in my art career I was very very young at the time and um very tied to, to my idea of what made my art mine um as I think like a lot of people who create are like this is what I'm saying uh which I think is what prevents us that that voice in and of itself is what prevents us from like wanting to feel vulnerable because like you start questioning like well is what you want to say even all that important and mm. all of that um and it was sort of like a lesson in art for art's sake. Like, n n not a single person in that class can call any one of the paintings theirs, um, and you can't you can't tell some, where somebody else is going to start. You can't tell them to start in a particular place. Um, so maybe for all fifteen of your seats that you took, you're painting the same section somehow of the same body. Uh, maybe you never got to paint the feet or you never got to paint the hair or maybe you painted a piece of everything because everybody started in a different spot. Um, but it was just something that, that sort of struck me and shook me out of my rigidity when it came to creating. Cause I, I was at one point like a very particular person with how I created. And I think after that, that studio class, I was able to sort of like, feel more free in my expression and like try different things like like I said I was there for painting and now what I do is illustrating in ink <laughs> yeah and I, I don't know that I would have had the courage to do something like that until that class to like change what I'm doing how cool like I'm just like over here smiling like a dummy because I just like <laughs> love that story like that's so cool and I like the way that you just like throughout this whole conversation, you've like taken an idea and like broken it down and made me rethink about it. Like what you just said about vulnerability and the, the I am like my, this is what I'm saying type of thing and like feeling vulnerable about that and like how that ties into the art. And that's just really deep. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It really is. Yeah. I love it. You're just like, you, are you a really deep person? Like you can't talk like surface level stuff generally. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. And I, I am that person that, like, carries a lot of weight in my conversations. Yes. Yeah. Well, so do you have art that people can purchase from you? Like, do you have, like, an Instagram for that or anything that, like, we can promote on here? Yes, I do. Well, my Instagram handle is for something else altogether. Uh, it's all one word. Nothing fancy about it. No numbers or anything. Um, but I mainly sell my work through there and, uh, like markets and stuff like that. I don't have a webpage cause I am a very right brain chaotic artist. <laughs> uh, and about once a year I sit down to do it and don't, uh, but you can purchase my, my work through Instagram. Cool. Cool. Can you say the Instagram handle one more time? For something else altogether. Is the word altogether in there? Yep. Okay, for something else altogether. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Bobby, for doing this and being vulnerable. I feel like that was a huge keyword in this in this whole podcast. Um, but yeah, we're just like so grateful that you 
you came and did this with us and it's clear that you have some amazing things to share and I love also getting deep with people and the surface level stuff is not where I like to be so thank you for going there with me <laughs> yes thank you yeah. both for having me thank you. yeah fantastic. yeah thank you so much amazing right. bye bye if you'd like to connect, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are The Truth Seekers Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or would love to share your story, please email us at wearethetruthseekerspodcast at gmail.com.